chapter fourteen of one thing needful this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org one thing needful by mary elizabeth braddon chapter fourteen she took me to her elfin grot after that evening lashmar yielded himself to the allurements of circe in the person of lady carmenau with less reserve than he had shown hitherto and in proportion as his attentions grew more marked clarice became more enchanting she had been piqued by his coldness there was a smothered anger in her mind linked with the memory of past ill-treatment he could only atone to her by utter subjugation by lying at her feet as it were her slave and now it seemed to her that he was subjugated and she began to forgive him the consciousness of triumph became her that splendid nullity of hers began to assume life and colour lady carmenau grows in beauty every day said nestorius who was a connoisseur in loveliness and could admire a hundred women without giving his heart to one he had married early in life married above him gaining wealth and social status by his marriage he had been an excellent husband to a somewhat silly wife he had nursed her when she was sick and buried her as became them both and now he was free to choose another wife where he pleased it seemed to the people who envied or hated him as if he could have had the choice of old england so devoted were english women to him whom so many englishmen loved yes she is superbly handsome answered lashmar but i don't think she is your style you prefer something more original fenella for instance or mignon or that pale girl with the large eyes my mother's amanuensis your mother's amanuensis is not half so handsome as lady carmenau but you admire her more she is more interesting to me yes to me she is positively repellent there is something impish about her i should have detested fenella a dumb creature with monkeyish tricks leaping over banisters and always turning up unexpectedly in odd places and mignon is worse for she is more disreputable this girl reminds me of both she is like neither those two were all passion this one is all intellect they had coarse undisciplined natures she has a grand calm soul steadfast and strong and self-respecting that is to say she would not leap over banisters or dance upon eggs she has fiery blood in her veins for all her calmness of soul the blood of the fiercest demagogue whoever stirred the lambs of brum to rapine and revolt the blood of her runaway spanish mother too all quicksilver beware of her nestorius i will beware for her not of her guard her from evil if i can but never fear evil from her hear him ye gods exclaimed lashmar it is all in the man's temperament he sees all things in the rainbow light of his own imagination he is like titania when the spell was upon her 
assuredly nestorius was not in love with lady carmenau lashmar had to fear no rivalry in that quarter and by this time lashmar had decided that destiny meant him to be lady carmenau's husband he had escaped the doom once had plucked himself out of the web but this time he felt that he was caught even were he to make a good fight for freedom get away a second time he would have to come back in the end he must dree his weird i would rather be her second husband than her third he thought and as it is written that i am to marry her i had better propose at once he said this to himself yet did not immediately propose there was a lurking repugnance somewhere in his mind a reluctance which he could not explain to himself he was angry with himself for not being more in love i was born of a cold nature he thought he could account for his tepid emotions by no other theory than that nature had made him colder than other men he fancied that he had even an aversion from women and that he would have ended his days a bachelor were it not that self-interest and his mother's incessant prompting urged him to marriage he had everything to gain from a union with lady carmenau and it was sheer wantonness in him to hang back and yet he put off from day to day the utterance of those fatal words which would seal him as a slave for ever what is any married man but a slave a helot a hireling he asked himself first the slave of his wife and then the slave of his children and pushed into his grave perhaps by the follies of his grandchildren the father of a family never can know which of his children is to be his bane which egg will produce the worst viper he is responsible for the faults and follies of the whole brood to the third and fourth generation if he live long enough even after he is in his grave theorists will point to him as the root of evil will excuse his descendants delinquencies on the ground of heredity or atavism and yet my mother moans at the idea of my not marrying not having sons to succeed me as if it were the direst calamity certain loss instead of certain gain this was a pessimistic view of the matter but of late lord lashmar had inclined to pessimism as the only true gospel he was discontented with life and with himself he told himself that it was all on account of those five empty farms and that the canker was only in his pocket how happy hubert was he thought as he paced up and down the library one morning after he had let the shooters go out by themselves on the plea of letters which must be written by his own hand the shooters had been gone a couple of hours and he had not dipped his pen in the ink in another hour the luncheon gong would be sounding and he would have to go and say sweet things to lady carmenau who appeared at luncheon with all the freshness of venus and a diomene and expected a good deal of attention he had promised to drive to brum with clarice and mrs mulciver that afternoon to go over the great danebrook ironworks of which lady carmenau was sole proprietor her name was on 
all the carts and wagons clarice marchioness of carmenau lashmar had never been over these mighty works and he hated seeing works of any description hated the thud of the engines the smell of the furnaces the grime and dust upon everything and was not very fond even of the operatives though a humanitarian age insisted that they should be to him as brothers he felt also that this exploration of the works was in some measure a sign of his bondage he would be looked upon as lady carmenau's future husband it was like putting his name to his own death warrant but into the dust and the grime and the heat and the glare he must go having given his promise all too lightly last night in the reposeful atmosphere of the drawing-room where to-morrow's energy seemed an inexhaustible fund and now to-morrow had come and he felt that an afternoon at the works would be ineffable boredom yes my brother hubert was the happiest fellow i ever knew he said to himself happy in spite of great affliction for he always lived his own life did not go this way or that like a sheep before a drover as we wretched creatures all do we bond slaves of custom fashion self-interest how well i remember him in this room day after day calm restful reading meditating writing a little i must get his literary remains published by the by they would make an interesting volume what a dull empty life it seemed to me then and now by heaven i almost envy him he lived not alone but with the giants of the past his companions were titans and i i have not looked at homer since i left the university have not opened a volume of shakespeare for more than a year i am steeped in blue books and party pamphlets and newspapers the chaff of the day and hour strewed on the wind and forgotten a year hence he recalled his brother's figure sitting at the desk yonder the crooked shoulders hidden in the deep armchair one delicate hand supporting the pale bent brow the other on an open page of greek or roman poet elizabethan dramatist or modern philosopher the radical's brat had been near him always in those last years sitting at a table a little way off writing a copy or an exercise or at her benefactor's feet poring over a fairy tale they two had looked so happy together and yet it had always seemed to victorian a most unnatural association and now the presence of that girl in the house worried him their chance meetings had been of the rarest and yet he was always expecting to meet her on the stairs or in the corridors he was always surprised when he went into his mother's room without finding her there he had made up his mind that she was sly an intriguer a dangerous element in the house how quickly she had contrived to get that foolishly impressionable nestorius into her web and mrs Mulciver, a woman of the world who ought to have known better was always sounding her praises she had hoodwinked his brother when she was a mere child and now the serpent had grown up and her guile was of a still deeper cast brum and the outskirts of brum looked a little more detestable than usual to lord lashmar that october afternoon although lady carmenau was sitting opposite him 
clad in ruddy brown velvet and sable tails with a little sable bonnet that harmonized deliciously with her rich gold-brown hair if the beauty of a woman or the luxury of a barouche on say springs could have sufficed him he might have been happy but on this particular afternoon he beheld even lady carmenau's perfection with a jaundiced eye your velvet and fur will not be improved by iron and cold dust he said with a disparaging glance at her rich apparel oh i've had this gown for ages i should be rather glad to spoil it lashmar's eyes in sheer absent-mindedness noted the figures on the pavement two half-clad factory girls fluttering by in cotton hugging their shabby little shawls across their narrow chests as they faced the east wind and it struck him that the radical's howl against the inequality of fortune was one of those themes which would never lack listeners granted that every scheme which would equalize wealth is like absurd and impossible yet there the contrast is always before men's eyes always calling out to them for redress somehow somewhere those two girls looked rather enviously at your sables he said noting the long wistful stare which followed the fine lady in the fine carriage you may be sure they have as grand gowns for sundays dogskin or catskin and cheap velveteen they always follow the fashions answered clarice lightly one can't help feeling sorry for them murmured mrs Mulciver. yes with that gentle passive sorrow which hurts nobody and does nobody any good answered lashmar with quiet scorn if one of us were like that little norfolk dressmaker now who being one day suddenly moved to pity for a poor wretch in jail took up her cross and for ever after devoted her life to the help and solace of jail prisoners bore with them comforted them prayed for them died in her patient slavery that is what real pity means and how very little there is of it lady carmenau did not pursue the argument she was looking straight before her towards a great black gateway gloomy as the entrance to tartarus they were in one of the dingiest streets in brum danebrook lane so called after the great danebrook ironworks where mr danebrook had established in this midland centre works which rivalled in their magnitude those of darlington and competed with the krupps and the cockerels of germany and belgium lady carmenau could hear the chink of the steam hammers and she always heard that sound in this place with a faint thrill of pride she had broad acres which gave her a position among the landed gentry and of those she was proud but these works were her kingdom here was the source of her wealth and here she reigned supreme the vastness of those plutonian halls the multitude of blackened faces the clang of the engines the roar of the furnaces where the keels of mighty ironclads and the connecting rods and cranks of large locomotives were welded and fashioned impressed her woman's fancy with an idea of power the factory was like an arsenal and she seemed to herself strong as a goddess of war 
when she made her slow progress from hall to hall preceded by deferential foremen and officials it pleased her to think that lashmar would see her amidst these surroundings she had given no notice of her coming and it seemed to her as she alighted from her carriage in the great black quadrangle that the manager who ran to receive her was less effusive than usual he was not less deferential he bowed before her and spoke with bated breath as to a queen but he had a troubled look which lashmar's quick eye perceived i'm afraid we've come at an awkward time he said you've some gigantic job in hand perhaps in the throes of completion no it is not that my lord answered the manager gravely that kind of thing never puts us out of gear but it is hardly a good time for her ladyship to visit the works our men are on the eve of a strike lady carmenow laughed softly pleasantly as at an irresistible joke that is a very old story she said i've heard that all my life my father used to say as much almost every time he came from the works the men were always hatching mischief the strike was always coming but the strike never came mr danebrook had an extraordinary influence over the men an exceptional power of managing them he contrived to ward off the strike partly by that personal influence partly by concessions your ladyship has refused to to accede to demands which i consider preposterous which my father would never have granted your father would have gone with the times lady carmenow he was too wise a man to try to stem a rising tide if some of us don't stand firm against that tide it will be over all our heads before long said lady carmenow looking like bellona lashmar would hardly have given her credit for so much spirit or obstinacy he did not know which to call it the men have held on though they are worse off as to current wages than other iron workers in brum they have held on for the sake of those admirable funds which mr danebrook established for sickness and old age the prospect of bonuses and annuities has kept our men faithful to us at a disadvantage but there is a very unpleasant feeling arising in the factory an idea that the richest works in all brum pay the worst wages in most other firms like ours work is done by the ton by the ganger who undertakes the job and employs men under him this plan saves the firm a good deal of responsibility and the men like it better because they can earn more money while an intelligent ganger may make a small fortune i will have no middlemen in my business said lady carmenow the manager bowed submissively your ladyship knows best he said but i assure you there is a danger in getting old-fashioned a system which answered admirably ten years ago is beginning to work awkwardly now there was a time when we hadn't a single union man on the premises but labour was scarce last winter when we had some of our biggest jobs in hand and we were obliged to let in some of the union men and now we must either give them what they want or prepare for a strike if they strike we can get other men i suppose not a man in england but we can get them from belgium the manager shrugged his shoulders dubiously belgian ironworks are in a very prosperous condition just now i doubt if there are men to be had and if these men leave us they forfeit all claim upon my father's funds 
naturally then they will not go said lady carmenau assuredly not the old hands who have touched bonuses already and have been working for annuities in the future no man will forfeit the reward for which he has been working anger is short-sighted lady carmenau radicalism has been gaining ground in this place ever since i can remember twenty years ago our hands were better off than any other workmen in brum but wages have been going up and our wages have remained the same we point to our bonus system our workmen's buildings sound and cheap and well cared for our annuities to the aged but the modern workman is hardly grateful for these advantages he doesn't much care what kind of hovel he pigs in but he wants high wages a drinking bout every paid night rump steaks and onions for supper he doesn't care about the future you'd better go with the tide lady carmenau and let me raise the wages before the strike comes i would much rather shut up the works replied clarice please do not let us discuss the question any longer i have brought my friends to see the works not to hear the usual doleful prophecies about strikes which never come the danebrook men know they are better off than any other men in brum she led the way walking rapidly past the manager's office into the heart of the citadel he had hardly time to snatch up his hat give a hurried direction to one of his clerks and get in front of the little procession a foreman appeared almost by magic and amidst the din of huge engines and in the heat and glare of giant furnaces lord lashmar surveyed the source of job danebrook's fortune he saw the half-finished blocks of iron conveyed from shop to shop by the traveller a curious kind of steam monster working upon an overhead railway thirty feet from the ground he saw the huge unshapely mass of white-hot faggots drawn from the roaring furnace by the steam crane plucked as it were from the mouth of hell just such a demoniac seeming spectacle as he had beheld years before at woolwich arsenal where he went as a boy to see the drawing of a gun he saw the mighty steam-hammer fashioned that iron protoplasm into form weld and shape it into use and meaning but amidst all the uncouth grandeur of the scene he noted the sullen faces of the men heard more than one muttered sarcasm from smoke-blackened lips as the great lady swept by in her splendour of velvet and fur he kept as close as he could to her side all the time ready to defend her should there be any hint of violence he felt that the men were disaffected and he was very glad when after seeing a monotonous repetition of strange forms and breathing noxious fumes of coal and red-hot iron he was allowed to escape into the outer air the smoke-charged atmosphere of brum seemed fresh and clear after those fiery vaults through which they had passed after the works had been done clarice insisted that her friends should see the workmen's houses for which privilege mrs Mulciber was particularly eager i confess myself a very stupid person wherever machinery is in question she said but the dwellings of the poor are my delight i am a member of the dado society and i think i have made many a humble home happy by the introduction of an artistic wallpapering and a sage-green delf jar here and there on a bracket 
it always makes me sad to think of the many who have to live without dados i'm afraid our brum people would laugh at the dado society answered clarice they have no idea of beauty you will see the most revolting objects in their homes artificial flowers under glass shades bead mats crochet antimacassars things that make one's blood run cold poor things sighed mrs Mulciber. the day will come when the influence of the dado society will permeate this outer darkness i hope the workmen's houses form two spacious quadrangles opening one into the other through an archway like a college they had been built by mr danebrook and were of a sensible height only three stories with balconies to all the rooms and a colonnade under which the children could run about in wet weather there was also a spacious building called the recreation house in which the children played in the daytime and where the adults amused themselves of an evening there were baths and wash-houses and all modern accommodations and improvements the architecture was utilitarian and substantial there was no attempt at the gothic or the jacobean in any portion of the building it was frankly ugly from garret to basement but the rooms were all light and airy the passages and staircases were wide and well ventilated they went into two or three different sitting-rooms lashmar feeling himself an intruder mrs Mulciber in her glory descanting upon the sweetness and light which the dado society could bring into these benighted dwellings clarice calm and queenly entering and leaving without apology here and there telling a mother that her children were not a credit to her in those dirty pinafores or a housewife that her floor looked as if it had not been scrubbed for a month you have nice rooms if you would only learn to keep them nice she said to one woman wages are too low and whittles too dear for us to have much heart for finicking over the rooms replied the matron with a sulky air bending down to stir the fire with her back to the visitors and then lifting the lid of a saucepan which sent forth a hot blast of onions and grease mrs Mulciber tried to insinuate a suggestion of a bracket or of the wonderful dadoistic effect that might be produced with a little distemper your husband could do it himself my dear soul don't you know murmured the lady just a pail of whitewash and a little red my husband would chuck the whitewash over my ed if i was to arst him any such rubbish answered the matron fiercely we don't want no dadoses here we wants higher wages and less humbug bonuses indeed and nuities we've got too long to wait for the bonuses and we shall all be dead and rotten before the nuities falls due clarice felt that the atmosphere was uncongenial that her father's system which had answered admirably while he was there to administer things was not working smoothly just now the place is stifling she exclaimed you all keep your rooms much too hot i suppose that is because you get coals for nothing we need get something for nothing when our husbands and sons are wearing their flesh off their bones to keep other folks in velvet and fur grumbled the matron as her visitors departed lady carmenow went back to her carriage deeply disgusted with the want of loyalty in her people she had gone over the same ground with a party of friends a year ago and had been received as a queen 
the children bringing her a bouquet the women curtsying and smiling dazzled by her beauty and splendid raiment the men deferential eager to wait upon her footsteps and answer her questions the change was appalling and might presage some hitherto unimagined evil the working classes are becoming detestable she said as she leant back in her carriage exhausted and depressed they are not always as pleasant as they might be replied lashmar there is no place in the world where i feel so much out of my element as in brum half an hour in this hole always makes me fancy the old order is ending and that we shall all have to turn up our sleeves and work at the furnaces before long those people positively adored my father said clarice discontentedly ah but he was one of them you see or made himself one of them replied lashmar i dare say he wore a shabby coat in the factory and went about among the men handling cranks and not afraid of greasing his hands you have the air of coming from a totally different world of looking down at them from an immense altitude that's what they don't like i shall never go near them again said clarice they may be very sure of that she was deeply offended touched in her womanly pride of beauty and grace never before had men looked upon her save with admiring eyes those sullen faces haunted her as she drove home through the twilight and lashmar who might have been comforting and tender held his peace and sat silently gazing at the misty autumn fields she had wished to show him her power as a queen in that black kingdom yonder and she felt hurt and humiliated by the uncomfortable turn the whole thing had taken End of chapter fourteen